0: Go to look now at the 800-year history of a site that illustrates the development of industry in Dublin and how industry was affected by the changing political tides over the centuries. Greenmount Mill in Harold's Cross was an active mill from the 12th century right up to the 20th century and it played an important role in the development of the liberties and the surrounding area. Dublin City Council historian in residence, Cathy Scuffle has been researching the history of Greenmount Mill and joins me now in studio. Cathy you're very welcome back to the History Show.
1: Thank you very much Miles, thanks for having
0: me. Okay, located for us first of all, where exactly was Greenmount Mill and when did it first appear?
1: Okay, to put it in an actual location, the easiest landmark nearby would be Harold's Cross Bridge across the Grand Canal. So it's located on a site just beside the canal. In fact, it's parallel to the canal for quite a bit of a distance. And the mill itself, the Victorian mill building is still there, but the history of the site is much bigger than that. So there actually has been four mills on that site over the years. And it goes right back to the usual suspects, the monks of the Abbey of St. Thomas in the Liberties of Dublin because it has the Puddle River as its power supply.
0: Pre-Norman, post-Norman? or In and around, around the Normans. Th- right, in and so around, around the, the Normans, top, but, no, yeah. but nothing to do with the Normans? No,
1: nothing really. No, it's all to do with the liberty of Thomas Court and de and this is the very outer reaches of that liberty, which we know as the Liberties of Dublin today. And this is their mill on the outer reaches, so they have a number of mills within their area of interest. And if you like, the monks had increased the power supply to the river puddle much further out by taking a diversion off the dodder. And that's the the mill in Tempelogue at Ballon And that particular uh, weir gave an additional water supply to the puddle to increase the flow of water for the mills further downstream.
0: Because the puddle has always been to me anyway a very mysterious river. I mean it does, it Tends to be an underground river for a lot of its course. Isn't it does
1: it? now, but it wasn't always that of course, way. Yeah, and now yeah. and again, it it reappears in floods and lets us <laughs> know it's still there. But it's very, very important for this particular site because it was the power supply for the mills.
0: Okay, so there's a mill there from the 12th century. Do other industries develop in the area around the mill because there's a mill there?
1: Very much so. In fact, it ends up there is a, at one time there would have been a brewery on the site also. (laughs) Naturally enough. And then that became an oil mill. And I'm researching still, but I think it may have used uh, some of the flax oil, uh, the linseed oil. It may have used some of that, but that bit I'm still researching. So it's a hugely important industrial site for Dublin.
0: And obviously you're saying, first off, it's associated with the monks. But, you know, as time goes on, are there wealthy families associated with it or what happens there?
1: This is where it gets very interesting because it's it's all tied up in the history of the abbey. So as we know, it remains as the liberty of Thomas Corton de Noor. Then we get Henry VIII entering into the story and basically the dissolutionment of the abbeys and the monasteries in Ireland. And they're handed out then to... A new uh, generation, and of course, in this case, the generation is the Earl of Meath. So this mill falls into the ownership of the Earl of Meath then at that time, and he uses it as a corn mill. From what I can see, the monks had it as a wood mill, and then it became a corn mill under the care of the Earl of Meath.
0: All the time using the water to All keep the, the wheels time going. Using the water. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't really so. matter what it is. Mm. That particular stretch of the canal from Sally's Bridge down to Harrow's Cross is is as straight as a die. There's no bend at all. Is there a reason for that?
1: Well, I'd say it was following the line of the South Circular Road, but it was very useful as another industry as a knock on effect from this particular mill, because this also became a rope walk, an area where ropes would be made. So all you need for a rope walk is a machine operated by one or two men at one end, Somebody at the far end feeding it in, and you need a straight line in order to platter or weave the rope itself. So again, this was a rope walk, again, a byproduct from the mill itself.:
0: Where does the name come from? Greenland?: oh, okay,
1: This is where it gets really interesting. It comes from a gentleman called James Greenham. Now, it seems to me that there was a bit of an epidemic of people calling things after themselves <laughs> at this time in Dublin. And our James Greenham was no different. Uh, he lines up there with Natalie Warren, who gave us Warren Mount Fother in the Liberties. So, James Greenham is a cotton manufacturer. In Cork Street in Dublin, like a couple of his neighbours, he's actually one of three or four of them living in Dublin. And this is all in and around the early 1800s. So James Greenham is there. I have found evidence of experimental cotton growing down in Pits so they were actually trying to grow it. So they weren't
0: bringing it in from India? Well, they had to some bring some it, it in Indy, because obviously it yeah. didn't work, yeah. but
1: they did try it. So some of the addresses that you find in the registers, particularly in Wilson's in 1804, you find the cotton fields, black pits listed as an address. So there's experimental <laughs> cotton growing going on. And our James Greenham is definitely involved in this. Tell
0: us a bit about James them. What was his background? Uh,
1: well, no, his background is quite interesting. I think he's tied up with a family in the Midlands, around Offley, because if you go back the registers, you can start finding the family tree if you work it out slowly. But his huge connection with Dublin is certainly through the parish of St. Catherine's again in the Liberties of Dublin, which would be in... Thomas Catherine's Street. Church in Thomas Ca- Street, exactly, where Robert Amish Church, was yeah. executed. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is all around the time of poor mm. Robert Everett yeah. losing it. So James Greenham is connected with the church. He is a church warden. I found evidence of that. He is certainly involved in the Weaver's Guild. In fact, he is the master of the Weavers Guild at some stage. And at that point, he allows the worsted weavers in to become part of the Weavers Guild. So he's he's moving around the area quite a lot. Very involved. He pops up at various dinners. He's moving with the great names of the area. So the Earl of Mead, the Lord Concurry. You find him on lists associated with these people. So he's there and he's in society in Dublin and he pops up quite a bit in various registers.
0: Implying em- roughly how many people?
1: By the time he's at the height of his industry and this involved when he had mills in Roper's Rest near Black Pits in Dublin. He also had mills in Greenmount. And then he takes on mills in the Temple Mills in Selbridge. At this point, he's employing about... Is that where the
0: weir comes from at Temple Mills? That's exactly where know. it
1: is. About 1,600 weavers he's employing. He's a major employer. He is using the cotton that is imported by the Pims. So the Quaker Pym family are very much involved in bringing cotton into Dublin. And our James Greenham is also taking full advantage of the canal network. So his mills, if when you think about it, are linked up by the Grand Canal. Mm. Ard cluck in County Kildare is only two kilometres from that mill in Selbridge. So it would have been quite easy to move the goods up and down.
0: And obviously he was a captain of industry. Did he, as did many captains of industry in those days, did he get involved in politics? He's
1: a little bit involved in politics in the sense of he's involved in the improving the lot of the Catholics in Dublin. So you find him at a big, big Catholic dinner, which was brought about after the Act of Union to improve the lot of Catholics in Ireland. So very sympathetic to Catholics. The Act of Union seems to have affected him in some way as well because that's when we realise he's starting to run out of money. He's gone a little bit too ambitious but he's there uh, more industry and he has turned the mill now into a cotton spinning mill. It had been a corn mill he takes it over then as a cotton spinning mill agreement.
0: There's a report apparently in the Irish Times which talks about an assault on Greenham, Maybe. in broad daylight, in the in the comb. Oh, was that was he mugged, or, or was there something more behind it? Do you think?
1: Well, he definitely was mugged, and it's as you say, it certainly made the papers. He's walking down, I suspect, from his home in Cork Street down towards the Weaver's Hall, and a as was described in the papers, a ruffian uh, came up behind him and assaulted him, and the bystanders allowed the ruffian make his escape. And when you read something like that, and, and although the papers describe Greenham as certainly a very upstanding, well-respected manufacturer, you wonder why then would he be assaulted on the coon? You think it
0: was a contract job, don't you? I do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I definitely do. And, and I think I know There's, why. You can smell creditor. <laughs> yes, certainly. That's exactly what it was. He ran up a massive amount of debt. And he is bailed out on a couple of occasions. In fact, I've so far found he was in debt. He was bankrupt, certainly in the early 1820s, but he was in trouble before that. And it actually ties in with the date of the assault on the coom. And I think it's certainly a creditor. It's too organised, the bystanders allowing the ruffian escape. Uh, it all ties in. He had a huge amount of debt and the people who bail him out are the PIMs, the PIM brothers. Um, On each occasion, they allow him uh, finance to refinance the industry. The second time, though, they put one of the PIMs in on the management team. So obviously we're watching our Investment, if you like, or more. I can see a hostile
0: takeover coming. Very much so. Very much. Is that what happens?
1: It is because, conveniently, or very sadly, I should say, Mister. Greenham dies, and by eighteen twenty-six, the Pims now find themselves in a situation where they're not no longer just dealing in fancy goods in their shops and importing raw cotton; they are now involved in manufacture, and this is when our Greenmount moves on to the control of the Pim family.
0: And there's an association at some point with linen, isn't there
1: this is where the this is where it changes right. because obviously. From the Act of Union onwards, weaving was running into all sorts of problems. I I, I know I came across another reference, 1829, the Earl of Kildare mentioning that 20,000 looms are silent in Dublin. So we're in trouble. We're in trouble with this industry. And the PIMS reinvent themselves with this new manufacturing plant that they've inherited, Greenmount. And they then look at turning it into other products. So... If you take the area as a whole, the other thing that's quite noticeable in that part of town are two army barracks. So you've one at Wellington, would have been Wellington barracks. We know it as Griffith College mm. today. And of course, the other one's at Portobello. It's called Gruber barracks. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been Portobello barracks at yeah. this particular time. And they discover that it is better for soldiers to be wearing linen shirts Because if you're injured in a linen shirt, there is a better chance of the wound healing than there would be if you were using any other type of material.
0: This is because the bullet... Or the musket ball, or whatever it is, penetrates. And how most soldiers die is from an infection, infection. from the cloth rather than then from the bullet. The actual bullet. So, linen, what linen hap- why linen is will linen different? Uh, right.
1: Because of the type of fibres that are in it.
0: So, the bullet wouldn't basically carry the cloth That's into exactly the body. The point.
1: And so, here's another opportunity <laughs> for the mill to actually provide for the the army barracks that are nearby, so these become important contracts. So from that, then we develop a whole linen industry, and the Greenmount linen. Spinning mill and cotton spinning mill they were really, really important from the point of view of industry in dublin
0: and do they move beyond providing shirts for soldiers? Do they move into the sort of the finer producing finer goods we than
1: that we have to we very much have to so we 're moving forward in time with this story now, and at that point, Greenmount becomes a very, very important industry from the point of view of all sorts of fancy goods so Tablecloths, for example, uh, bed linen, anything like that. And they are very, very forward thinking because even in the great exhibition in Dublin, we find them having a stand and winning medals for new ideas and new products that they have available.
0: What happens then when we move into the Ireland of the Irish Free State? Yeah,
1: isn't it? The Ireland of the Irish Free State. Well, we have to take account of what industries we've got. And of course, all through the 1920s, huge efforts are being made to look at our industries and develop them with one eye on the American market all the time. So think, if you think for example of Waterford Glass or Newbridge Cutlery or even Balik all of that type of high end fancy goods were very important and this is where having a green mount tablecloth with the lovely green ribbon on it which spoke Ireland and maybe having a pattern in it that represented the four provinces or shamrocks or something like that became the must have item. And again, as we move through the 20th century, so we've sort of fast forwarded in history a little bit here. But as we move through the 20th century, having a tablecloth in this fancy box, they're almost the go to wedding present all through um, the 20th century. And it links up then, as most of our businesses do, it linked up with the Boyne Mill in Drogheda. And this is where we got the famous name Greenmount and Boyne Linen Company. It's a great example of a cross-border business too, because the distribution was through Belfast. So this is one of these things that actually crossed the border and developed as the country developed.
0: So where are we now with Green Mountain Boy Linen with you know with Green Mountain Mill? What is it now?
1: OK, so if we leave the mill to one side just for a minute and we just think about the linen. Um, one of the things that they actually specialised in were a particular type of serviette that had a buttonhole in the corner. And these became a total luxury item and they were used for all of our railway hotels all around the country. And why the buttonhole in the corner, Miles? Well, this is for the gentlemen when they're sitting down to have their dinner. You could actually button it onto your shirt so your serviette wouldn't move. So if anyone has the buttonhole serviette you've got something really special. They became collector's items, these boxed linen, particularly if they're still in the green box with the green ribbon. If they've never been opened, if Granny had it in the bottom drawer all her life. They're worth the fortune. Now, They're they? worth the fortune. They're mm. selling on the internet as collector's items. And you find it as one of those, uh, you know, best in box or it, almost like a Star Wars figure, you know. But these Green Mountain Boyne linen products are really collector's items And today. presumably
0: as the case where a, a well-known painter dies, suddenly the value of his of his paintings absolutely soars because these aren't being produced anymore. They're
1: not being produced. Sadly they're not being produced. And the reason, of course, we if we come right up pretty much to present day, the mill more or less the production in the mill stopped as we joined the EC because it could no longer compete with the European markets. Belgian German, they were much further ahead in the type of production in their particular linen mills. So by 1972, we lose um, the mill at Harold's Cross. Uh, We also lost the distribution place in Belfast. But the one at the Boyne in Drogheda, it struggled on, I think, until the early 1980s. But they've all closed up now. But with the closure of the mill, as you say, no longer produced, now, Greenmount and Boyne linen are collectors' items, mm.
0: but also fascinating that this is something that lasted from the 12th century to the 20th century. So it continued for the guts of 800 years. Absolutely, it saw 800 years of domination, didn't I did. Absolutely. it?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> and and around it, it's still it's still a mill world. The mill building, the Victorian mill building, is still there in the middle, used for small industries. I think there is one fashion industry in it so it's still linked in some way but the old mill house is there and if you listen really carefully you can still hear the river puddle flowing under your feet bringing us right back to the monks (laughs) and they increased the water supply at the beginning
0: fantastic story kathy thank you very very much indeed to uh, for telling us the story of the history of Greenmount mill one that spans the centuries from the Norman conquest right up to our own independence and indeed right up to the point where we joined what was then the European Economic uh, Community. And there'd probably be a few people checking their tablecloths and serviettes <laughs> to see, hopefully they're still in the box, to see if they were made by uh, Greenmount and Boyne. Kathy Scuffle, thank you very much indeed. It's
1: been my pleasure. Thank you.
0: That's all we've time for on this evening's programme. Details of all our items as well as podcasts are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. My thanks tonight to Mark McGrath on sound and our researcher Ian Canelli. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. From me, Miles Dungan, and producer Lorcan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening.